Good evening and welcome to the BVB London Fan Club podcast. Um, it's a real privilege this evening to have somebody who's actually worn the famous jersey of Borussia Dortmund um, for several seasons and also played um, for many other clubs across Europe. Um, but I'll go into a full introduction shortly. As always, I'm joined by our co-host, president of the BVB London Fan Club, Ben McFadden. Good evening, Ben. Evening, guys. It's so great to be here. I, uh, I can't actually believe that we're already on episode seven. Can you believe that, Mark? No, it's amazing. Time flies when we're having fun, that's for sure. That's it. Who else have we got on the call tonight? I'm interested to know who our special guest is. Well, I know already. Yeah, I shall reveal all very shortly. Um, but first of all, we have um, another member from the BVB London Fan Club and somebody who's also a Fulham season ticket holder. Um, and we'll have some, certainly have some interesting questions, I'm sure, for our uh, guest this evening. And that is Colm McNabola. Good evening, Colm. Good evening, gents. How are we? It's good to see you all. Yeah, you too. Very good. Um, you've been keeping yourself busy? Kept very busy at the minute, yeah. Um, work's kept me busy and the added distraction of the Bundesliga coming back. Um, it's kind of making life a bit more, a bit more normal again, I think, really, at the minute. So, yeah, can't complain, can't complain. You're back in Ireland, Colm, I heard. Yes, back in Ireland. I've uh, located for the, for the meantime. Um, it's a lot more calmer over here than what it is in London. And um, yeah, I haven't managed to kill my, my parents yet. So I think I'm doing quite well. Congratulations. A bit of an achievement, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, OK, Ben, here's the moment you've been waiting for. Um, so to introduce our special guest this evening, this gentleman is a... Uh, a former Danish international player who's actually played at the World Cup and the European Championships. Um, as I said before, has worn the famous shirt of Borussia Dortmund. He's played in the Premier League for Manchester City and Fulham, and also in his home nation for FC Copenhagen particularly. Um, and that famous player is Niklas Jensen. Good evening, Niklas. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on this evening. It's a real pleasure for us to have you. And yeah. um, I understand, so you're, you're back in, back home, basically, in Copenhagen now? Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, ever since I, actually, since I left Fulham uh, in uh, 2007, I think, uh, I went back to play a few years for, for FC Copenhagen. And, uh, yeah, being born here and, and raised here, this is my, my hometown. So, so I've been living here ever since, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And, um, and now you're um, a football agent, I understand, as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Since I since I stopped, actually, the yeah, pretty much the day after I, I started working uh, as a football agent, and uh, all of a sudden it's been uh, it's been ten years now. So uh, wow. time flies, but um, but it's it's a nice uh, it's a nice job. It's the the next best thing, obviously. Uh, nothing beats being on the pitch, but um, but this is also very nice. So uh, I'm happy. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that's great. Absolutely. Well, this evening. Yeah, I was, this evening we're um, the topics we're going to cover. We'll uh, I'll pass you across to Ben shortly, as always, for the for the latest BVB news, and then after that we're really going to focus on Nicholas's uh, career um, from sort of starting out in uh, on the outskirts of Copenhagen, through to um, a short spell in Eindhoven, um, back to Copenhagen, and then the Premier League and um, Borussia Dortmund, and then uh, on to Fulham. And then back to Copenhagen, as it, it seems all routes lead back to Copenhagen eventually, I think. Yeah, but yeah. Um, 
without any further ado, I shall pass you across to Ben. Ben, what's been happening with, with BVB? Obviously, we, we've been watching the, the resumption of the Bundesliga and, um, and the matches. And um, what news have you got for us? Absolutely. So, firstly, welcome, Nicholas. Thanks so much for Thank being you. again on my side. Welcome, Ben. So, uh, the Bundesliga, well, I think everybody's aware that the Bundesliga started again and Borussia Dortmund got off to uh, two very nice games. Um, two wins uh, against the blue rivals from Gelsenkirchen um, and uh, and then against uh, Wolfsburg. Um, and then, unfortunately, they came unstuck uh, this week against FC Bayern Munich. Um, so that was kind of uh, expected, I guess, because of the uh, the lineup that they put out without uh, Axel Witzel and Marco Royce. But um, I guess really uh, that's really a moment to hand over and ask you guys what did you think of the game. Um, let's start with Nicholas. Did you see the Bayern game? I guess you you, you watch games a lot of BVB games, right, Nicholas? Yeah, I t obviously I try to uh, to get as as many games uh, on on the telly as I can, and and also occasionally go go to Germany as, as uh, now in in my job. Also, it's it's a very good market uh, as an agent. So um, so I watched the game, not not the whole game. Uh, I was a little bit on and off in the second half, but um, but for me it was a uh, was a very good game, very close game, and and of course. The form of Bayern at the moment is uh, is a bit scary, but um, but but it was really the, the small things that that uh, yeah that gave uh, Bayern the, the three points. So um, so bad luck for for Dortmund. Absolutely. And uh, what did everybody think of the potential uh, penalty that uh, Boateng may have caused with his elbow? Uh, I don't know if anybody saw that. Particularly, I played myself as a left back as a defender in Niklas's position. And uh, I know those scrambles in front of the goal where you do anything, basically. We had two scrambles, didn't we? One uh, in the first minute when Dortmund should have scored and then uh, a further one. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that was that was basically uh, probably, in my view, a penalty. But then I am somewhat biased. Oh, what did you think of it? Was it a penalty? Um, I, I, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was a definite penalty. Um I just, I was, I was more. I think I was more surprised at the fact that Haaland didn't appeal for the penalty. He kind of just seemed to turn around and maybe he didn't see it, or maybe it was that quickly. I was just very surprised that he didn't appeal for it. Um, but on top of that, I was surprised that VAR didn't give it as well. I thought it was, I thought it was a clear um, penalty. But going back to what Nicholas was saying, um, I completely echo his, his comments. Really, I thought it was very close um, on fine lines, and I think that that penalty was the fine line of the game was kind of was decided on. Absolutely right, absolutely right. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Piszczek who cleared off the line for, for Borussia Dortmund. Mm. Um, and the Bayern, I think it was, I think it was in fact Boateng, if I'm not mistaken, who cleared for Bayern. Was that right, Mark? Is that what you saw? Yeah, no, I think so. And um, and also, sort of, I tend to agree, the, the decision was one of those ones, I think, that if you're the defending team, you'd be very upset if it's given against you. The attacking team, you think it's a, a given penalty. But in this day and age, like Com said, I suppose um, I'm surprised it, it, it didn't look as though it had got referred um, across to the VAR. Yeah. So uh, that seemed um, seemed quite a strange decision, and certainly the, the commentary that we that we had uh, here in England was was certainly thinking that it would that would be the case that it would go across. But um, but it didn't. Um, I thought it was a really good game to watch. It's it's still quite odd getting used to watching these matches with no supporters in the ground. It feels like you're watching. Well, that particular game felt like you're watching a very high-level 
training match almost. Um, but uh, the difference between the two teams for me was that Bayern just look, they look very comfortable. They, they, it's almost that knowledge of just saying, well, you know what, we can sit in here. We think we're going to be good enough. And, and I guess knowing from their standpoint, they didn't need to win the game. As long as they didn't lose, they were in a pretty strong position. Um, but the fact is they, they got the goal. And then um, defensively, they looked really solid. And I thought they did a very good job of shutting down the, the flanks, which is where BVB have been so dangerous um, this season. Um, you know, the, the two um, the two wingbacks um, were nowhere near as effective as they, they had been in um, for the rest of the season for me. Um, but um, yeah, but I, I I didn't think it was a bad performance by BBB at all. I didn't think so either. In fact, the first half with Julian Brandt uh, as a kind of sweeping midfielder, providing a lot of good passes and a lot of movement in the centre of midfield, was rather excellent. But uh, Lucien Favre has come under quite a lot of criticism. And to be frank, that decision, although I mean, Jaden always brings ultimate magic, and it's hard to believe that he's really out of shape at the moment. Uh, he doesn't seem to have weathered the uh, the corona uh, break as well as some of the other players. Actually, to be frank with you, I couldn't believe that uh, Brandt got taken off. Uh, I found that a very strange decision, one of Favre's many uh, slightly unusual decisions. Um, but um, yeah, is it fair to criticise Lucien Favre? There's some rumours this week that um, potentially uh, he could be on the out and heading towards Newcastle United. What, do, what does everybody feel? Uh, would Newcastle be a good move for Lucien Favre? And um, who would be a good replacement? Dare we even speculate? Yeah, a good question. I mean, I, I suppose if, if the transaction goes through at Newcastle, um, it's a pretty attractive prospect for, for any manager to walk in there because they're going to have funds to spend. Um, they have magnificent support up there as well at Newcastle. Um, so they have tremendous backing. Um, I think it's a, it's a very exciting role. Um, they'll probably have a pick of a number of real top managers. Um, so from Lucien Favre's perspective, um, I'm sure he'd love to stay in the BVB job. Um, but if not, hey, I'm sure I, I think he'd jump at the chance. Absolutely. Colm, you're a seasoned Premier League and Bundesliga watcher. Uh, do you think this criticism is fair about Lucien Favre, or can we say on the whole that he's basically done a good job? I mean, we met second position last, last. I mean, in his first season, that was, you know, we only lost by two points. But I mean, I think most people would say that throwing away a nine-point lead at Christmas was, well, a tragedy to say the very least. And then, of course, there's the issue of the questionable signing of Abdou Diallo and then the sale and so on. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not a massive Lucien Favre fan, but I mean, he certainly has his good sides as well. And he, he's definitely instilled a sense of uh, confidence in the team, but it's just not confident enough. There's a ruthlessness that's missing, like Mark said, you know, not not uh, it, it's been missing for some time, though, I have to say. And, and the defence, for me, it just really doesn't work, particularly at left back position, which uh, um, Nicholas uh, was a left back. But Colm, what's your opinion? Um, I think whenever you look at the league table, he still, we went into Tuesday night's game where he was only four points off Bayern Munich. And if he'd won, it was down to a point. Um, I do think they kind of gets a bit of a hard time. Um, and I think as well, if you look back at Tuesday night, if they'd won on Tuesday night, it was down to a point and players such as Sancho wasn't fit. Henry Chan wasn't fit. Axel Witzel wasn't fit. I think he's just been a bit unfortunate to be fair. Um, with regards to him leaving, it just depends who's available, really, and who'd be who'd be available to take the job. 
moving forward. It's very, it's a very, it's a, grass isn't always greener on the other side, I suppose. Yeah. And Nicholas, you played for, as a left back. Um, yeah. uh, what, what is your analysis uh, of the defensive situation? Uh, what, what are the issues that Dortmund seem to be facing? It seems to me that ever since Peter Stoger left, uh, who was an interim solution when it was it 2017 eight, no it was 17-18 I think yes uh, the year after Tuchel won the DFB Pokal uh, I should know because I was in Berlin to watch the final um, but um, Nicholas what's your what's your opinion of Dortmund's defensive uh, weaknesses Oof, that's a, that's a big question, but but I, I definitely uh, agree that they they haven't found find found the 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 perfect solution, uh, the the good solid uh, back three or back four or whatever they they want to play with, and um, and of course as a left back, uh, I'm I'm always looking a little bit or former left back, I'm always looking a little bit more to that position, and and even though Guerrero has been playing on the left wing back and and he's a magnificent player, um, of course uh, that there's still there's still something missing there, uh, even though. You should normally say that uh, that Schulz should uh, should be a, a good solution there. He's a German international. They they paid a lot of money for him as well. But but it, it does seem that uh, that he might not be the the, the right uh, left back or the the right uh, wing back that they they are looking for. So so they are definitely searching a little bit for that perfect uh, good solid uh, back three back four that just plays uh, week in and week out and and. And give this good um, fundamental security that also uh, eventually will, will lead to, to more points, for sure. I remember interviewing you a couple of years ago. We talked about Emery Moore. Um, I don't know exactly what happened to his career, but less said the better than about that one. Um, what is your view, uh, Nicholas, of, um, before we move on to the next topic, what's your view of uh, Mats Hummels? Um, is he still, uh, is he, has he still got the pace that Dortmund need in that position at centre-back? And also um, uh, Dan Axel Zagadou. And then finally, if you don't mind me adding, why exactly did Dortmund not play Rafa Guerrero at left-back as he plays that position for Portugal, if I'm not mistaken, and very well too? Yeah, that that's some some good good valid questions, and and I'm sure that uh, that Favre has some <laughs> some good answers as well. But to to start with, with Hummels, I still think that he for sure has uh, a top uh, Bundesliga level. Uh, to me, it's always a question of uh, are are you fast enough? Uh, blah blah blah. As a as a centre back, to me, it's it's pretty much coming down to uh, who are you pairing up with. Because if he if he gets like I'm sure if, if he's playing uh, Matt Thomas and Sagadu next to each other in a in a back four for for ten games, then I'm sure that they would they would get to know each other and and they can they can cover each other's weaknesses and and uh, the lack of pace maybe in in Hummels can can be uh, can be done by by Sagadu and the other way around Sagadu he he can just uh, concentrate on. On defending because he knows that uh, the positioning of Hummels will will then cover up uh, his uh, small uh, errors and and maybe going five meters uh, too much to the left or whatever. So so it's it's very much it, it, it doesn't really to me it, it doesn't really have to be two top 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 center uh, central defenders to be to be the best uh, back four because it's 
it just comes down to the pairing and and the security and the knowledge of each other and and the, the they can like complement each other and and uh, yeah well, that that that's for me if you have like two sagadoos uh, next to each other I'm, I'm sure it would not be good and and vice versa with with hummus but but like the parents just to take those two for example because you you mentioned them the the pairing is is for me uh, crucial who would you bring in um leaving rafa guerrero aside um uh we haven't we haven't discussed but um he's doing a great job in midfield as well and on the wing but uh, who would you who would you love to see uh, christopher adja is someone uh, I've, i'm sure i've pronounced that wrong how would you pronounce that as scandinavian yeah, Scandinavian, you would say uh, Christopher Ayer. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Ayer at Celtic, yeah. the player that yeah. uh, is widely admired uh, here in on the island uh, in the yeah. UK. What What do you yeah. think? Would he be a good left back for Dortmund? To be honest, I don't know him that well, so so I can't. Uh, I have to put my hands up and say I don't. Uh, I don't know uh, Ayer too good, so so I can't really give you a. Uh, a good decent answer on that but but um but of course i i think i think the way uh dortmund are playing right now and and the the kind of the the style of of the the transfers and the players uh um, I, I think that they should and and they are probably also trying to to like find a good good young uh quick fast modern left back uh, uh a player a little bit like um Angelino, who's now in in uh, in a Red Bull on loan, I think from Manchester City. Uh, that that type of player would would be for me the uh, you know the the the, the left footed Guero with maybe a little bit more defensive uh, power, uh, but um, but a, a similar type uh, as as Guero maybe. But um, but 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 it's it's a difficult question. So. Uh, but it's an, 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 an important role to left back. You can't underestimate that. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, it's a position which I played for 20 years. I don't know about you, Nicholas, but it was... Exactly. Uh, I, <laughs> I ended up in... I Somehow there was nobody else with a left foot in the team. Yeah. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. I loved being a defender. I think my only, uh, my only asset as a player was being very kind of... Uh, rugged and uh, and committed and making sure but it's, it's an incredibly difficult position because you obviously you're dealing with the right wing and some of the best attackers so you just can't underestimate the the problems it brings to a team if you don't have a good left back and i really hope dortmund will sign someone good um thank you for the insight about angelino as well yeah a spanish a spanish young uh, player who seems to be quite versatile who can play in the midfield 23 years old but also on the left back position um so talking about potential moves well Dortmund also looking at Kai Havertz which I think from Bayer Leverkusen which I think is an excellent move if they were to bring him in um any views on Kai Havertz yeah I mean um I mean that would be a fantastic signing I I think um he's someone that there's probably a lot of the top teams are, are looking at him and I'm sure that um a lot of the big Premier League sides would be very interested if um if they were able to um, to snatch him, um, I mean, it, it, the transfer markets—you know—it's so up in the air at the moment. I, I don't know what to make of it, really. Um, since the lockdown and now the financial situation of, of so many of the clubs, you, you know, we have no idea as to what values to, to place on players. I think now, um, but um, if BVB could sign him, that would be fabulous. Yeah, 
it'd be a great acquisition. Yeah, 20 years yeah. old already, a national team player and, and, a, and a good yeah. right wing, uh, right, right, uh, right wing um, option. Um, so um, the news today, which I've been reading and I've some, somewhat bemused by, was that uh, Roman Burki is, is an option to replace Kepa at, uh, at Chelsea. And I find that really quite strange. Uh, the 15 million deal. I've met Roman a few times at the Borussia Dortmund Christmas party they always have for the fan clubs uh, every year. And um, Roman is really uh, an incredibly nice guy. Uh, and on a personal level, I'd be really happy for him. Uh, on, as a fan, I must say that his first couple of seasons, he was a bit ropey. Uh, a bit up and down. We weren't really sure, basically, whether he was going to be the right replacement for Roman Weidenfeller, who is basically was an absolute rock um, in as as the keeper. And Dortmund have had a string of good keepers: Klaus, De Beer, um, and 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 Weidenfeller, and so on. Um, but um, I'm really not so sure about uh, whether uh, he would be the right guy for for Borussia Dortmund, uh, uh, for sorry for Chelsea, and whether it would be a real value for Borussia Dortmund, as I'm not really sure who they would be replacing him with. And also, um, a 15 million pound keeper coming in to replace one that costs uh, 80 million pounds—that seems like a bit of a bad deal, doesn't it? Holm, what do you think? Yeah, you could. Uh, I think Kepa kind of hasn't really got back to any sort of form um, since this whole Wembley Cup final debacle a couple of years ago with um, Maurizio Sarri. Um, I'm not sure that Lampard kind of prefers him over Caballero as well. I do, after just, I read about that article this morning as well. Um, I wonder, would there be any possibility of a swap deal of Berkey going and Kepa coming in? Would anybody be open to that sort of a move? I, I, I think probably be open to it. Um, I, I just imagine the how the funds would work. That's the only thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Chelsea would be looking to recuperate, you know, a decent chunk of money. I would imagine having yeah. had such a big layout initially, and I don't yep. imagine that, um, you know, that BVB will want to sort of say, okay, look, we'll 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 take him plus I don't know 30, 40 million or something like that. I'm not sure it'll be palatable at the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, Dortmund have a a, a, a a potentially pretty good under-19 keeper, um, but um, I'm not really sure whether Eric Olschlegel would be the right guy to replace um, replace uh, Roman Burki, not at this stage anyway. Um, uh, tell me, uh, Niklas, Roman Weidenfeller, was he a great yeah. guy? Yeah, he was. He was. I, uh, I really liked uh, Roman. He was, uh, he was a nice, nice guy, a uh, good Good German guy, you know, uh, the, but but for sure he was uh, as a keeper should be full of confidence and uh, and a good um, yeah uh, I don't even know the the word in English but you know Ausstrahlung you know what what do you say uh, uh, charismatic yeah charismatic and, and uh, yeah and and, uh, and and for sure he was when I came he was he was battling a little bit with. Uh, uh, Vamus, uh, who came in after Jens Lehmann, he uh, he left the club, and uh, and then eventually he 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 took over, and and of course kept uh, kept the goal for for many many years, and just uh, kept growing as a, as a goalkeeper, and uh, and also outside the pitch, uh, a very nice and, and funny guy. So um, so yeah, good good person, Roman for sure. 
Yeah, and of course the under-19 keepers, Luca Unbehauen, uh, who I actually met when Dortmund came over. I was reporting for Ruhnachrichten when they played in the uh, uh, UEFA Youth League uh, against Derby County um, about three months ago. So I should have remembered that. I don't know why I mistook him for the under-23 keeper, uh, Eric Olschlegel. Um, anyway, back to you, Mark. So that's about, we're yep. up to, oh, one more thing. One more thing. Piszczek, he got another year's contract. That, for me, is a great reason for celebration. Uh, Piszczek's really the, the guy, isn't he? He's just fantastic. Really good to see that defensive options thing that they've managed to renew with him. Anyway, sure. over to you, Mark. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, now we're going to move on to uh, the wonderful, illustrious career of Nicholas, really. Um, so, Nicholas, you had 16 years as a as a top flight pro, um, playing across several European leagues, um, a number of titles under your belt, um, a wonderful achievement to play for your country 62 times, um, to play in the World Cup, um, and certainly in some memorable games. One of the ones that sticks in my mind particularly is the, the victory against France um, yeah. in the 2002 World Cup, um, and then obviously in the European Championships in 2004. But um, I guess to start off with, I mean, was it always your dream, like so many young boys, to to be a professional football player? Yeah, it was. It was. It was just like, uh, yeah, as as uh, as long as I can remember, it was the only thing that that I ever wanted. And and whenever anyone would ever ask me whether I was uh, six, ten, or fifteen years, uh, my answer would be that I was I was gonna be a professional football player. So um, so of course. Uh, I realized how um, how privileged I was to 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 kind of uh, uh, make that dream come true. So um, so it, I, I was one of those uh, small uh, small kids who just played ball uh, whenever I could. Yeah, fantastic. And and how did you how did you get your first big break? How did that come about? Um, I was playing in a in a small club in uh, in Copenhagen uh, called uh, B93. Currently playing in the third best league, and uh, and uh, and one day, uh, yeah, what well, the coach of of uh, Lingby he called me when I was uh, 16, I think, and uh, they had just uh, become the champions uh, of the Superliga Lingby. So even though it wasn't a a big club, uh, it was for sure an ambitious one, and and. Uh, I had ambitions, so uh, so I wanted to to go there and see if I could could uh, make my uh, break in uh, in the Danish Superliga. And uh, I went there on my on my first contract and uh, played there, I think, for three and a half seasons, uh, three seasons. And then uh, yeah, um, we played some uh, European Cup football against uh, Club Rouge, uh, and I. Uh, I played some good games, and and the day after the return or the first game, um, Frank Arneson uh, was the manager there, the sports director, and uh, he called me, and uh, yeah, few few days later, I I signed with PSV Eindhoven, and and my my career kind of started, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, when you went to PSV, um, you had, you had a few injury problems there, um, a couple of groin injuries that sort of kept you out for a while. Yeah, yeah, I have, uh, I have some, uh, still have some big problems with my back. I have like, uh, I have two uh, two things in the back that that's kind of grown together. So uh, my back is very stiff, and uh, and I have, uh, I've always had big problems with that. Um, and uh, when I went to PSV and and kind of. 
changed the way we were training and and also the the workload of course became a little bit more uh, heavier than i was used to uh, i had to have two operations in in my groins um, so i didn't play much there but but i i really learned so much because uh, for me it was was the the team back then was just amazing it was a uh, unbelievable uh, team of of psv Eindhoven back then and and i i came down there and 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 thought that i was i thought i was a good international player but uh, but very soon I, I learned that i i still had a long way before i could measure myself with uh, with the uh, senden philip kuku Yapstam, uh, arthur Newman, bim jonk luke nilis uh, amazing team back in the in the 90s so um so even though i didn't play much i for sure i learned so much about the professional football and and how i could uh, kind of raise the bar of where i wanted to go with my career yeah absolutely and then post psv um you then went back to copenhagen but to fc copenhagen this time and um, yeah you, you were there for quite a while, actually. I think four, four or five good seasons there, and 122 games under your belt. Um, you yeah. must have felt that when you you'd come back, obviously you'd learnt so much and and become somewhat of a different player and a more experienced player, obviously. Then. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. And and uh, it was uh, it was because the the owner of uh, of FC Copenhagen, he was the owner in Lingby when I played there. Right. Um, and and uh, while I was in in Holland, he. Uh, he he changed clubs and and uh, and bought Copenhagen. So uh, so uh, I was still in contact with him. And when he saw that I was coming back from injuries and 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 didn't play that much in in Eindhoven, he uh, he uh, went to visit me and and kind of persuade me to to come back to to Denmark and to to FC Copenhagen now. And and uh, yeah, I, I had a I had a great time in Copenhagen. It's a magnificent club and. Uh, and of course, coming back after a tough time in Holland, coming back to my family, my friends, and and my my hometown, was was uh, really nice, and I loved my time there. But but the whole time, I really just thought about again, how how can I get back out out of Denmark? You know, how can I get to play international football? And also because I was starting getting around the uh, the national team, and I wanted to be uh, a regular there as well. So I knew that I had to. To, to change leagues because even though Copenhagen uh, indeed is a, is a good club and, and a very strong ambitious club, of course the Danish league is 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 nowhere near the the German league or, or Premier League or whatever. So um, so so very soon after coming back, I I, I said to myself, okay, I, I need to get back out at, at one point, and it it took a little bit more time than than maybe I I wanted to, but. Um, but in the meantime, I I got a better player as well, and and uh, and when and maybe one of the the main reasons for that was was actually Roy Hudson, who uh, who became the manager of FC Copenhagen one year when I was here, and um, some people might say that I I never learned learned to defend that well, but um, but for sure he gave me some some good tips to uh, to maybe just. Uh, be a little bit uh, wiser uh, to be a, to be a defender because in my youth uh, years I was always uh, an offensive midfield player and um, and didn't have uh, have any tackles in me or, or any defensive runs at all. So um, so I, I learned a little bit uh, along the way how to to become maybe not a good defender but but a, a smart one. 
Yeah, fantastic. And you and you had success there as well. I mean, you won the title in I think 2001, 2002 with with FC Copenhagen, and then obviously yeah. were part of the the Danish World Cup team that went to Japan and Korea in 2002 yeah. as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that, that must have been fantastic. What what was that feeling like? To I, I know you'd made your your debut in a in a friendly, I think back in '98 against the Czech yeah. Republic, but yeah. but to actually walk out representing your country at the World Cup must have been an unbelievable yeah. feeling. Yeah, it is, and 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 yeah, words just can't describe the feeling. I mean, it was uh, it was amazing, and and I I just remember leading up to the World Cup, it was, you know, uh, you you knew in in November that that we had qualified, and and then the I think the squad was announced in in March, and and the, those six months you were still playing, and you knew you were going to the World Cup, but you were still playing in your in your club. Uh, so I just remember. Like it was yesterday, before the first game, we were playing a Uruguay. And when you arrived to the stadium an hour and a half before, and you went to, to have a feel of the pitch, I, I just remember going in and, and just got struck by this feeling. Oh my God, you're, you're actually going to play now in the World Cup, which you have been watching for so many years. And, and, and I, I never had I, I never had a goal saying I want to play in the World Cup or blah blah blah. But but just being there, looking up at the stands, and just know that in in a couple of hours you you're gonna participate in a in a World Cup game for Denmark. It was just yeah, yeah. amazing and 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 no not not even close to I'm not even close to being able to to describe how it is. Yeah. I'm sure I've got hairs standing on in now just thinking about the <laughs> prospect of just, you know, touching the grass and being there thinking, yeah. wow. And that was imagine Germany or England or, you know. <laughs> oh, incredible. And then incredible. that World Cup, I mean, being being English and being an English supporter, we, we have obviously very good knowledge of, of that sort of World yeah. Cup that year and, and sort of mixed feelings about it. But, um, I mean, in that World Cup, you would have played against the reigning champions, France, who you beat 2-0. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that must have been an incredible. And I guess you would have been up in the left back position, probably up against uh, like a Sylvain Wiltord, for example, yeah. potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, am I right in saying in the round of 16, would you have been the guy who had to mark David Beckham? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Um, guys, I, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts or sort of questions at this point around... Um, Sort of that yeah. sort of World Cup experience. Well, I was absolutely desperate to get a point in, but you know I have this habit of tackling too early and missing the ball by inches. So I'm just going to, thankfully, I'm going to accept the pass from you, Mark. And sure. just ask uh, Nicholas, um, wow, gosh, uh, that was a wonderful World Cup in Japan and Korea. And um, I have a question. Basically, what I would love to know is... Um, you made your debut, I think it was against the Czech Republic, is that right? Your your yeah. full A debut? Yeah, yeah that's right. So I, I want to ask really, like, when you get that first letter that invites you to play for the national team the first time, how is that? And how did your family react and your friends? And also, um, is it really this amazing feeling when you're singing? And Denmark, my my uh, my mother's partner is from Denmark, from uh, from Roskilde, to be exact. Um, I guess you know Roskilde. Yeah, yeah. 
but um, they're very patriotic people and deservedly it's a, a lovely country. I really enjoy visiting there whenever I'm there. But um, is it, is, was it really such an awesome feeling when you uh, line up for singing the national anthem? Some players don't seem so moved, but I've noticed that Scandinavian players all seem to be quite patriotic as well. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I, I can only say 200%. It's... Uh... It is like for sure a, a very patriotic uh, feeling to to play for the Danish national team and and the Danish man on the street is is very proud of the of the Danish national team and and uh, and of course a little bit up up ups and downs the last ten years but uh, but back then uh, always a full crowd uh, red and white uh, the the whole day you could just uh, sense the whole. The whole uh, city of Copenhagen uh, bussing and and waiting for the the game tonight. Uh, so um, so it, it, every single every single time I played at home for Denmark, standing there singing the the national anthem. Because when I was uh, five years, my my daddy took me to the to to the Parken Stadium for for a, a national team game. So um, yeah, it just brought back you know childhood memories and and like i said before all of a sudden being one of those guys standing there on the pitch and and knowing that how 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 the feeling was among the the spectators as well it's just uh, an immense feeling of uh, yeah you you're very proud and and excited and and just uh, can't wait to to get the game going really and the second part of the question, um, I, I, I don't know if there's a lot to be said about that, but when you got the first letter from the Federation asking you to come and do you get a letter or did you get a call from a, from a scout or what happened? Uh, sorry, from, a, from one of the coaches or from Morton Olsen? Yeah, back, back then you got letters. <laughs> I think now, now maybe they get a Snapchat or something. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but back then we got uh, old-fashioned letters um, uh, written on a, on a machine, you know. But, okay. um, but my, my first, uh, first call-up was, was actually uh, going back from, uh, from, a, from an away game with, with Copenhagen. And, uh, and the guy I mentioned before, the owner of, of the club, uh, Fleming Östergaard, he uh, he came uh, down to me in the bus. I, I was sat in the back, and and he came and he he said that uh, I, I've just been on the phone with uh, the the manager back then was a, a Swedish guy called Bo Johansson, and uh, he had called Fleming and and told him to to get hold of me in in the back of the bus and and tell me that I was uh, selected for the the national team. So uh, so I had a, a good hour back there on the bus just trying to. To understand what what was going to happen, so um, it was a, a special day for sure. Absolutely amazing. And had you been to Japan before uh, and Korea? I mean, what was the what was the uh, what what did you? What, I, I've been myself to World Cup two thousand and six, uh, Europe uh, the Euro Championships nineteen ninety six uh, as a fan, um, and so I have 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 had both of those experiences, uh, albeit some time back, but. Um, um what what uh, there's a whole kind of sense of a real kind of jamboree like a party like all the fans moving from one city to the next and so on um i was also a volunteer at london 2012 olympics as well where i attended a lot of the events um i was working with the uh cameroon team there and uh, i met roger miller i don't know if you remember him, the football player 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. old celebration was absolutely outstanding. But yeah, um, he's still only twenty-one, I think, as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was already forty when he was playing at the World yeah. Italia ninety. But um, who were your uh, who were your heroes growing up? Um, I, I remember very much Danish Dynamite, that amazing team that won, having not qualified for the European Championships, they went on to win the uh, the European Championship. Uh, with yeah. players like Morten Olsen and so on. Um, but who were your players? Uh, I think Michael Laudrup was there, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, my, Michael Laudrup was, was the one I, I was looking at. I mean, uh, amazing player. For me, uh, back, back then, uh, a Danish player being among maybe, at that time, in, in my opinion, the top five players in, in the whole world. Uh, and and uh, I mean, you just see the, the the way he was floating uh, across the pitch, and his uh, his passing, and his uh, yeah, his his touch and his uh, vision, uh, all, all things that that I reckon are, are very important in in football. And uh, and for me, he was for sure one of my biggest inspirations. And 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 apart from being a good player on the pitch, he's also a very nice guy off the pitch. So. Um, so yeah, he he was for sure the that one name that I would I would mention. Yeah, that's excellent. Colm, you must have a few questions. I noticed earlier um, uh, that you played also Nicholas with uh, Ida Gudjonsson, uh, who played yeah. Fulham. So I'm sure Colm has good memories of Ida Gudjonsson. Yeah. yeah, I Ida was a phenomenal footballer to watch. Unfortunately, the chip, the Blues down the street um, probably got the better years of him, but. We'll say a little bit that. I just wanted to ask Nicholas one question about um, the 2002 World Cup. Uh, you came on uh, in the first game and you also played alongside Dennis Ramadan. What yeah. was it like knowing that the two of you left Lingby as kids and now you've turned up in the World Cup and just playing alongside each other? It must have been an incredible feeling and you probably pinched yourself maybe once or twice to think, is this kind of really happening? Yeah, for, for sure. And, and, and it, it is... Uh... It, it is like you know that the, the Danish national team is is a little bit like uh, as I, I assume a lot of national teams really are, but it's a little bit like a, a small family. So so even though people were were very happy and and having big careers everywhere in, in Europe, every time you knew you were going back uh, to spend some time with with the national teams, you knew you were gonna you gonna wanna gonna spend some time with with good friends and uh, like you said, I played with. With Dennis in um, in in Lingby and in in PSV Eindhoven and in the national team and 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 the same uh, one of my best friends is uh, is one you probably know as well Klaus Jensen from from Fulham. Uh, which I was going to ask you. Yeah. So so I have I have still uh, among my best friends I have uh, three or four guys from from that time uh, in in the national team because it was just it was just so nice always being back and and I'm sure that. Not, not that we as a as a as a, uh, a nation have big big results, but I'm, I'm sure that the five ten percent of uh, of the uh, of the strength of Denmark is for sure the uh, the uh, the nationalistic feeling that that people get when they come back to represent the country and and this this uh, small family uh, vibe there is around the team. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. What well, I guess next, Niklas, um, post your time at FC Copenhagen, you then got a move to Manchester City. Yeah. Um, so 
I think when when you joined Manchester City, they were, um, it was the season they, um, you, I think you joined in the January and then they got promoted to the Premier League. And yeah. I remember that Manchester City side were a real, sort of, under Kevin Keegan, a yeah. real sort of swashbuckling team, really attacking. Um, and I think they got, I think they even got 100 points possibly in that, or 100 goals, I think it was, in the promotion yeah. season. That yeah. must have been a really fun team to to play in. Yeah, it was. It was for sure. And and it was like... Uh, when I first got the, the the call from from Manchester City, I was a little bit uh, okay. Uh, uh, I knew that it was a big club, but uh, but also of course it was still like in the in the championship. But uh, but I went over there and visited them uh, and um, and had a chat with with uh, with Kevin, and and just after five minutes, uh, I had no doubts. I, I just knew that uh, that I had to play there because uh, again, uh, very charismatic uh, coach uh, manager and and every single every single training was uh, was just about football you know he he, he was just uh, f- his heart was just so full of football he might not be the best manager uh, in in brackets that that you find but but uh, his enthusiasm and his uh, his uh, desire and passion for football was just uh, so um, yeah, I don't even know the, the right word, but it was just so uh, addictive to be a part of, and and like you say, a fun fun time, a fun team with good good football players, and uh, and I really enjoyed my time there as well. Yeah, and I'm sure in your position, then you you must have fed the goat so he could score many times. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a good uh, also a good good diversity in in players. Uh, some some uh, yeah, like you say, uh, Sean Gota and. Uh, and then some some big guys in uh, Mark Vivian Foy, Sylvan Distang, Steve Howie, and then the small technicians uh, Ali Benabia, Al Berkovic, uh, Sonji Hai, Sean Wright Phillips. Uh, so um, a little bit of everything, but uh, but a good a good team. And I think we in the promotion season, I think we finished uh, ninth in the in the Premier League, which was uh, I, I think a very good uh, result. So. Um, yeah, so, uh, absolutely. A good time. Yeah, and then obviously a, a very memorable Manchester derby win, and the first one for many years at um, in the last season at Main Road as well. Yeah, um, yeah. That three-one, I remember that three-one game particularly, and um, the atmosphere looked sensational that day. Yeah, it must have been a fabulous game to play in. Yeah, it was. It was for sure, and and uh, and and uh, yeah, I remember Main Road was just a magnificent uh, stadium to to play in. This. Uh, old style english uh, stadium in in the middle of uh, of where people were living so um so that that game was was really nice and 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 again being being able to to play these sorts of games and 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 also you know world cup and and you know of course from from bvb but but um I, I just remember we we took that game as any other game really we 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 met up 2 hours before Somebody put a little bit of uh, music on in in the dressing room, and and then we we went out to uh, to warm up a little bit, and and we we beat Man United in the derby three one, and uh, and it's very interesting because going to Germany to Dortmund and and chatting with with the German players after some time, of course they asked, oh, so how was it playing those those derby games and. Uh, and and they, they they wouldn't believe that we were listening to music like ten minutes before going into the game, and and it's just one of those things that that you just you you apart from football and and these experiences you just 
also as a person you can take so much out of your career because being able to to live in in england holland and germany and and even though it's still northern europe and we are very similar you you can just still take so many things back to, as a human being and and understand different cultures and and val values and and uh, as as a human being it's just uh, giving me so so many things also yeah, absolutely. Let me let me jump in quickly. A, a player I'm particularly interested in, uh, if that's okay. I, I would love to know. Um, firstly, uh, Robbie Fowler, uh, a very unique guy. In fact, uh, he's gone on to make absolute fortune. I don't know if you know Nicholas. He's gone to make an absolute fortune in the property market in the UK. He's making millions. Okay. 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 How was he as a player? To be. Uh, he was uh, he was a good player. He was a very good player. I mean, he was just uh, his finishing was just lethal. You know, he was just one of these guys where you in in training you you just knew if he got the ball in a in a, a particular position, you just knew it was going to be a goal. You know, and it was not uh, once in a while. It was just every single time. He was just an uh, amazing finisher and and very clever player and and also. Off the pitch, even though at, at that time he, he he was already having a, a magnificent career and and was a big big player, but but off the pitch, just a very nice guy and and uh, and and good company. So um, yeah, good player. Interesting. And of course, your goalkeeper was your fellow Dane, the great yeah. Dane himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was. Uh... <laughs> He's also he's also a very very good guy who has like two personalities one on the pitch and and one off and uh, and of course it was uh, it it must have been a little bit strange for him of course playing at Man City after his uh, magnificent uh, career in in Man United but um, but even even in in that season I, I think maybe he was forty years old thirty nine forty years old but he was still having some games I remember. I remember still one one save at at Anfield uh, against Liverpool, where I, uh, I I couldn't believe my own eyes because I I saw Peter every every day of the week uh, humbling onto the to the pitch and and back in and getting uh, three hours of massage every day. But but uh, that Saturday he looked like a 21 year old, so, mm. uh, so he still he still knew how to how to perform when when he had to even though he was uh, 39 40 years old something like that and i if i dare ask the question before i want to ask you about alf inge harland obviously uh, you'll know why but um who is the better goalkeeper uh, if you if, if you're not too diplomatic to give the answer kasper or peter <laughs> i uh, I, I have to say peter for me uh, peter is if not the best uh, that's ever been, he's for sure one of the one of the best in my opinion. And I'm I'm trying not to be uh, I'm really trying to be objective here. Um, and and I have the greatest amount of respect for Casper because uh, he came to Man City I think uh, as a 17 year old when when I was there with 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 Peter and uh, and and the 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 road he's been taking has just been. Going on loan to to Bury to wherever do I know in in uh, three four five very tough years in his early twenties. Uh, so so he's one who his his mental strength is just uh, 
admirable and and uh, also off the pitch just a stand-up guy and a, and a very very nice uh, person so um so i have the deepest respect of of casper as a person and definitely also as a goalkeeper but um but to me peter is is just one of the the best that's ever been yeah i mean hard to forget peter schmeichel certainly certainly yeah. for me as a b4b fan the 99 uh, champions league final was uh, very memorable um that yeah. uh, beating Bayern München. Um, yeah. Alting Haaland, obviously uh, Erling Haaland has turned out quite a player. Um, yeah. What was Alf Inge like? Could you could you imagine that? Did you ever meet uh, Erling uh, when he was... No, I didn't. No, no. I never, oh. I never met him. Um, Alf, uh, Alf was a very nice guy. He was, uh, of course, so unlucky with, with injuries and uh, and and he was uh, recovering when, when I was in, in Man City. So, uh, so mainly he was uh, he was in the in the gym and and uh, and and having some some treatment, but um, but a very nice guy and of course being a, a fellow Scandinavian, we uh, we talked quite a lot and uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I I had a chat with him actually uh, before Erling went to uh, to Salzburg uh, because in my job now as an agent, I had uh, of course a few. A few contacts who uh, who contacted me and 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 say we have this uh, uh, this rumor about a, a very good young potential uh, uh, top class player in in Molde in Norway uh, and we believe you know his father so um, so I talked with him a few times uh, recently as well so I'm just delighted that that Erling is uh, is having the success he has right now. Uh, Nicholas, what is what is the Erling factor in your opinion? You see a lot of young players. As I said, we talked about Emery Moore. Emery Moore's uh, playing skills were absolutely outstanding. I think he's playing somewhere now in Greece. As I said, the least we talk about him, the better, because somehow the mental side of his game was really not working. And I, one thing I've noticed uh, writing about football and, and talking and also watching games over the last 30 years is um, giving my age away a bit there, but uh, is that basically it seems to be very much a mental game. The difference between a top player and a mediocre player seems to really be in the, the level of dedication, but also in the ability to cope with the enormous stress that players are under, particularly today. Um, Erling seems to be really strong mentally as well as physically um, and have an incredible knack for scoring outstanding goals. But there's something quite unique about him. What is it? You see a lot of players as an agent, as you say. What do you think uh, makes Erling so special? Uh, I think you you just uh, point on, you're just spot on. It, it, it is a mental thing. And, and if you are 18, 19, 20-year-old and, and you, you have this... this uh, mental balance where you you are you you don't um you don't get uh, too obsessed about what what the, does the media write about you uh, but still you you're you're just um your discipline your your training discipline is very mature you uh, you you train like a like a professional as an 18 19 year old then, then you're already halfway there because you see so many players, and and you mentioned Emre Moore, and and you can just see how much, how much energy these type of players are are spending on. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit old-fashioned, but what what the color are my boots? Uh, how many followers do I have on Instagram? And and many players can can do both uh, for sure, uh, but um, 
but I think for sure that the, that the players that that are able to to say today uh, is another training in the weekend is another game and uh, whether whether it's uh, it's Paderborn it's Bayern Munich or it's Osnabrück in the cup or it's uh, whatever game it's a game and I have to approach the game uh, in the same way and and the big players uh, like you say uh, they just have this mental uh, um, uh, uh, strength that they they go into that game and they just they just want to perform. They just want to be the best part of uh, of the the best version of of themselves. Uh, and and other players, they say, okay, today it's uh, it's away against the bottom team, so maybe ninety percent uh, of of performance is enough uh, or whatever. And and then you just uh, then you are just already uh, go doomed to to give a, a bad performance. So. So the mental, the mental part of it, and especially today, as you mentioned, it's just unbelievable the pressure these guys are are playing under week in, week out, uh, in in the in the Bundesliga and the big leagues in Premier League, where you, even when you go to to Christmas time and you you need a breather, but then you have uh, six games in uh, in twenty days or something. So. Uh, so it's just uh, that that's the big 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 difference because everyone, even I mean. If you if you look at me, you could say were, were I ever a, a Premier League player? Uh, maybe I was uh, for for some games, but but over time, for me, you're a Premier League player, a good one. If you can if you can have like two, three, four good seasons where you you're under that pressure every every single Saturday and you still perform, that's the big difference because it's just so so tough, so tough. Talking about tough, that goal you scored against Leeds United, I was watching the video the other day. What an absolutely outstanding, awesome cracker that was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. I I, uh, I didn't score many goals in my career, so uh, so when when I finally got one, of course, it was very nice that uh, it was such a memorable one. So um, I was happy about that. Yeah. Colm, do you want to jump in before we... We'll be coming back to you in a bit, Colm, talking about the Fulham era, which is really your era. But um, before before we talk about Borussia Dortmund, which clearly the show being the Borussia Dortmund fan podcast is all about. But uh, do you want to jump in, Colm, with any question for Nicholas about his time with Man City? Um, yeah, I was just um, telling one of my friends recently that I was going to be talking to Nicholas Jensen about um, Dortmund and Manchester City and stuff. And he's a Leeds fan and he still remembers that goal and whenever I reminded him about, uh, reminded him about it the other day, he was just he wasn't a very happy person. Uh, we'll put it that way. But um, yeah, what what a finish from a left back! It was just absolutely incredible. Um, I didn't actually see it until I looked through your stats, and then when I thought I seen your stats, it, it said it was an extraordinary goal uh, online. So I thought I'd have a look for it and find it, and um, yeah, it was incredible. Um, one question I wanted to ask Nicholas was about this time at Manchester City was. The atmosphere main road, not just for that Manchester derby, but just for, for that whole season. Um, it's one of them yeah. old school stadiums compared to what we see now at Manchester City. Would yeah. you prefer to be playing in the older side stadiums or in kind of the newer, kind of more spacious um, grounds? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I know it's. It's of course. Um, it's it's a tough question because if, if you if you're gonna answer as a, as a football player then then you would prefer the the old type of uh, of stadiums the uh, the highbury the main road and and those places just 
just amazing uh, atmosphere there and uh, and and of course now uh, it's it's very nice to to have some some good seats and uh, and uh, you can go to a lounge and you can have a, a bite to eat and whatever but uh, but of course it, it's the question of of financials uh, sides to to the to the to the comp, uh, to the clubs so um, so so it's it's the good old days and and uh, and it's really hard to to get that am amazing atmosphere and feeling from from those old uh, type of stadiums but but as a football player uh, nothing beats uh, those uh, those old stadiums nothing no absolutely my local ground Nicholas is Portsmouth FC Fratton Park yeah yeah it's really really classic ground a bit like yeah. Anfield nice old yeah. old fashioned houses all around and so on a bit like Craven Cottage Fulham although that has the river on one side and the park on the other yeah. but um, so this is the moment we've all been waiting for Niklas Jensen signs for Borussia Dortmund in 2003 and spends two seasons with B4B um, yeah. and coach Matthias Sammer the Ballon d'Or winner uh, probably yeah. one of the most legendary German players ever you join yeah. a team with players like Tommy Rosicki, Jan Koller, Sebastian Kehl, Dede, Roman Weidenfeller, who we mentioned earlier, Everton, Lars Ricken. Wow, what an amazing experience. And so we, are, as all three of us are B4B fans, clearly. Uh, Niklas, yeah. talk to us uh, about your time with Borussia Dortmund. What's it like? What's it like to be part of the Westfalenstadion crew and uh, one of the Germany's absolutely finest football teams? It was, um, of course. Uh, also, I had to 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 pinch myself a little bit uh, when when I got the the call from my agent saying that um, that I was uh, I was uh, going to to Dortmund if I wanted uh, because I had a I had a great time at Man City. Uh, we became nine uh, ninth in the in the Premier League. Uh, so so it was a tough decision, but but of course um, I I knew that. That Man City back then was not gonna gonna be part of the top three, four, five in the Premier League. Uh, that was before the the shake, of course. So, uh, so, so it was pretty much that uh, that desire to be part of a of a team that was going to maybe uh, uh, participate in in the in the hunt for being champions. Um, then shortly after, I, I joined Dortmund. Of course, we. Uh, we lost in penalties to Club Rouge and uh, and missed the Champions League and uh, and the financial situation of the club just uh, yeah was uh, was shambles so um, so it was it was very chaotic and and of course uh, it was never uh, as good as an experience uh, in in the league as as I wanted to uh, the club wanted to we I think in in those two years maybe we became fifth and sixth or something like that I'm, I'm not even sure anymore but uh, but of course uh, even that even even uh, even though it was just uh, an, an amazing club I mean uh, the people there were were just amazing and and um, and and of course playing in uh, playing at Westfalen Stadium uh, back then uh, with with uh, the the yellow wall uh, behind the goal and and uh, I think we had like 77,000 average in the Bundesliga, uh, 78, something like that. So again, words can't really describe how it was. Uh, so uh, even though, of course, it had its, its ups and downs, and and um, 
the financial situation in the club was was chaotic and and of course uh, we we felt that as players as well overall just uh, just amazing uh, to be there a couple of seasons for sure is the is the feeling of playing in front of the yellow wall is it really as uh, i've talked to i've interviewed many players uh, over the last 5 years since i've been writing uh, marcel raducanu nevan subotic uh, jörg heinrich martin Cray, many great legendary players including yourself in fact and thank you again for your support for the podcast it's great to have you on the show yeah but um what is it really um is it uh, you've played in many many great stadiums old trafford uh, just to name one of them but um what is special about playing in the westfalenstadion in dortmund it is uh, it is again because i think you when, when you go there as a, as a spectator i don't think that you uh, you don't you don't join go into the stadium and you and you feel oh this is uh, this is uh, modern this is nice stadium blah 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 but you you just go in and as soon as you step out there and you have a look around you just get this wow feeling i mean and and you 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 just stand there speechless for a little bit and you look because it's so massive it's so impressive and and of course when when it's then full of people it's just even more so and it, it has a little bit of that feeling we talked about before the old uh, old-fashioned stages where where you just sense that that the little bit closer to the pitch they, they stay together on the in the stands a little bit closer so so the noise is a little bit more intense and everything is just a little bit uh yeah just uh, just amazing and um and of course uh every every family member every friend i ever had that that just came down there and 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 uh, and, uh, and had to go to the to the stadium just everybody just said the same afterwards they i've been many places i've been uh, uh no camp uh, san siro whatever wherever they've, they've been but but that stadium was just uh, just amazing and and of course especially the yellow wall there i think does it hold uh, 23 25000 people uh, exactly yeah. yes yeah that's that's like uh, that's like uh, more people than than many stadiums uh, so uh, so that's just uh, that uh, that's just saying saying everything pr- pretty much yeah it's absolutely true and you had a long a long sort of uh, i mentioned this in my interview i did with you a few years ago for jersey football magazine you had a long kind of rivalry with the brazilian the legendary brazilian dede yeah. um he lives right next door to jurgen klopp because i've been to his house Okay. Uh, and, uh, he lives opposite Nuri Shahin and next to Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp has number 13. As you probably remember, block 13 was the main ultras block in the Zutribuna. Yeah, okay. Uh, what, was, <laughs> what was it like, that that kind of uh, duel with Dede? I mean, he, he really stayed with the club a long time and so on. And I guess you had a tough tough kind of challenge to to secure that that uh, that role from uh, from him but uh, i know you also mentioned in the interview we did uh, a couple of years ago that you also had a good relationship with him on a personal level so what can you yeah. tell us about? yeah no I, I to be to be honest i never i never really saw us as uh, as rivals because uh, i i really generally think that that when we played together, when when he was playing a little bit in front of me, we we had a like a mutual understanding, and and 
I can't remember all of my games, but but I I generally think that that the most of my my better games when what was when I was playing together with uh, with the day, um, and uh, and of course the last six months of uh, of my time there I I didn't play much if if I played at all I can't even remember but um, but but to begin with I I did uh, actually play quite a lot and and we played together a lot so. Uh, so, so I never really saw us as, as rivals, and, and of course also because Day Day was and, and is uh, uh, just uh, again a very nice guy, and um, I consider myself quite a nice guy as well. And, and uh, for me, it was it was it was it's always been very important for me to 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 get along well with my teammates because uh, I, you spend so much time together, you you spend more time with with those guys than with your family pretty much and especially in the in the Matthias summer days where we were in the training camp before every single game and and uh, you stayed at hotels so if i was it was if i was playing with with uh, with people and 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 spending so much time with them uh we were a team and and i believe that if you're a team if you if you live together if you uh, uh you kind of support each other, even though some somebody's not playing or somebody is playing instead of you or whatever. I, I just think that uh, as a team you perform better, and also as a as a person, it's just uh, it's much nicer going to work every morning and and uh, and looking forward to to saying hi to the guys than going to work and and have a look and saying ah oh, there's. Uh, this Brazilian guy, I don't like him because he might play instead of me. Blah blah blah. So that never really worked for me. Maybe it works for someone, but uh, but not for me. So um, so I, I never I never saw him as as a rival, but uh, as a good teammate. Yeah. Yeah, and indeed um, uh, that that kind of sums up his career and 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 and, and an outstanding player and incredible. I think if I'm not mistaken, he played for eleven years uh, yeah. for Borussia Dortmund. And, um, and uh, your roommate was it Andre Bergdolmo? Bergdolmo, I remember you have a very good relationship with him. I've read about that, the yeah. Norwegian player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we stayed together for for most of the time. Yeah, so um, of course, again, a fellow Scandinavian, and uh, and again later on, we we played a little bit together in in Copenhagen as well. And uh, and Andre was also uh, a very nice guy. So um, yeah, that's true. That's excellent. Um, how? Uh, just two questions before I pass over to either Cole or Mark. Um, what about the derby? Basically, the the match against Schalke. We won four nil this season, which was an incredible thing. Though the match itself uh, was quite eerie and strange, I'm sure everybody would agree with that. Did you watch the derby this this year? Uh, yes. Yeah. Good performance by Dortmund, I thought, but Schalke seemed to be really under par. I think they've lost. Yeah. They haven't won a game in ten. Now it's really no. not a good season for them. No, yeah, that's true. We have memories of, of of the derby. What's what's makes it so special? And then finally, also uh, Dortmund as a city uh, and and community and the people. You spiel. I remember Martin Cray uh, saying to me um, that the former Borussia Dortmund player that you, there's a special warmth uh, in the city of Dortmund towards the players of BVB. Um, somehow, being an industrial city, they really, they really. Uh, there's a great adulation for the players uh, and team and you really feel it's something special especially around the derby um last season i went 
derby with Marcelo Raducanu, the former Romania international, uh, and, and, and sat on the southwest corner of the yellow wall. Uh, and it was his first time on the yellow wall. And uh, that was a really cool experience. But um, what, what was your view uh, of the derby? Uh, I guess you played many derbies uh, with, um, with FC Copenhagen and so on. But, but, but what's, your, what's your feeling for and Manchester City? But what's your, uh, what's your feeling about the special uh, Revere derby? Uh, did you have any special memories of Revere derby and of Dortmund as a city? Yeah, I, I mean, you, you just, like, like you say, where, where, as soon as you, as you come to a new club, uh, within the first week, um, you, you chat to new people, you, you're getting to, uh, to learn the, the club, the people around it, uh, the backroom staff. And, and, uh, and one of the first things that you, that you ever hear is, is of course, uh, what, what club is the big rivals and, uh, and it's, it's a funny thing because even though it's it's uh, it's just another three points as uh, as is uh, as if uh, you're playing Augsburg or Freiburg or Cologne or whatever, but but uh, you you just you just have to put yourself in in the in the shoes and the minds of of the spectators that uh, just have to appreciate that they they spend so much time so much money on on the uh, on the season tickets on shirts and. And, and just being there every single time to to back up the club, and and as a player, you're only you're only part of the club for for a small time. You're just really uh, uh, in in and out. Um, most players, of course, then you have like the, the days and and people who stay for eight, ten, twelve years. But but mainly you're there one, two, three seasons. Then you move on to another club. But as a fan, you're there the whole life, and so it's. It's it's your club, but but it's it's very difficult sometimes for a player to understand that feeling because as as a player you feel, but uh, it's my club. I'm the one performing on the pitch, so so uh, it's also important we win uh, next Saturday because that's another three points, and that that's maybe that might be even a more important game if you look at the table or whatever. But you have you just have to understand the special. Mechanisms around those uh, those arch rival derbies and and for sure the one against Schalke. Uh, very soon I learned that it means a lot to the people of of Dortmund and to the fans of Dortmund. So uh, you know, it, it was it was a little bit like the the game before the derby. People couldn't wait for that game to end because then they could start talking about the Schalke game, and 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 it was just a question of of. The whole week, every single people you you meet in, uh, if it was in uh, when when you were standing at at the till in the supermarket or wherever you went, people just wanted to talk about the next game. What do you think? Are we gonna win? It's very important. You need to step up. Blah 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 blah. And mm -hmm. and uh, and you just you just uh, you just appreciate it as a player. You just find it amazing to be part of uh, a sport and and being able to. To bring feelings like that into so many people's lives is just a privilege that you have to respect and and just try and, and do your your best. I at, at one at one part Christmas party I think in Dortmund I, I I talked with with a few fans of course and and one of them we were talking about the Schalke derbies and and he said to me that 
he would he would rather have six points against Schalke, two wins, and then get uh, and, and then go into the second Bundesliga. Uh, get relegated. <laughs> we discussed that a little bit, and I said, "Okay, it's, uh, I'm not. I, I cannot really agree. I understand what you're saying and, and how much how important it is for you. But but then next year you're not going to play Schalke because then you're in the second Bundesliga. But that that's just that's just a good example of how important it is those games. Uh, it it really for for so many people they can." I mean, they they would stay home from work if if uh, if uh, if Dortmund lose to to Schalke. So um, so amazing to be part of and 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 you just even though like like we talked about before, seventy seven thousand in in Westfalen Stadium uh, is is an amazing atmosphere, and then still you get another ten percent of that atmosphere when you're playing Schalke. So um, so a big big privilege to be. Uh, to be able to to play those games. Yeah. The only other part I was mentioning was the city of Dortmund. I guess basically the special feeling, but I think you've kind of encapsulated that. I just yeah. wanted to clarify: is the Lingby Lingby FC Copenhagen is that a real derby in Copenhagen? No, no, it's the it's FC Copenhagen against the uh, Brøndby. Brøndby, right? Another huge yeah. club that have played a lot yeah. uh, European yeah. football and so on. Mark yeah. um, Fulham FC. Yeah, so in, in 2005, um, you then uh, get the call to, to move to London and join uh, Chrissy Coleman at, uh, at yeah. Fulham. Um, yeah. So uh, was, was that a very exciting prospect to be, uh, to be coming to, to play in London? Yeah, of course it was. I mean, like I, like I touched on before, my, uh, my last month in, in Dortmund wasn't, wasn't too good uh, when you talk about the playing time. So... So being able to to move to London and 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 get back to the Premier League, uh, get to be in the in the same team as my one of my best friends Klaus Jensen's, uh, it was was also a big 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 opportunity. And and um, again, Chris Coleman, uh, just uh, just a very very nice guy with with the heart in the right place. And and this uh, against again this passion for football. That just um, was so encouraging, and and um, and and just uh, I, I think we we got off to quite a good start in in uh, in the Premier League, and and then the results uh, started to to be a little bit. Uh, I think we drew a, a little bit too many games that season, and uh, for me it meant that um, yeah. To be honest, now I can I can look back and say that. As again, like I mentioned before, uh, at that particular time, I, w- I was not able to to be a Premier League player that performed 38 games in a season. Um, I was uh, I was 31, I think. Uh, so um, so so I, I, I actually I could understand why uh, Fulham was maybe saying when we are now in the bottom five, bottom six. We we need some players that are able to to uh, to play different than the type of player I was uh, at that time. I was uh, I was for sure I, I would have been better in a, in a team that uh, maybe had more possession and uh, and not had to to defend too much and and uh, and maybe play a little bit. We we were playing a little bit more simple because it was 
was very important that we we didn't lose because we were going uh, going in the in the bottom and and we had I, I remember we had some games where where the back four were were all central defenders uh, and uh, and of course for me as a player it, it meant that um, yeah there, there was just not really room for me um, and uh, and looking back I could I could see now that uh, that it was. It was maybe uh, fair enough because uh, my performances were were also not uh, on on the highest level on under those circumstances. So um, so they they took uh, Wayne Bridge on loan and uh, and that meant that after the first six months, uh, the the next uh, the the whole year of 2006 uh, didn't bring many games to me either. Uh, so um, so again the. The load of, of the Premier League was uh, was getting uh, getting hold of me as well. So so I went back to to Copenhagen at the beginning of two thousand and seven, um, and uh, and then I could I could go down a little bit in in uh, in the level of uh, of the games and and uh, prolong my career with a few years. Yeah, sure. And, and Colm, do you have some recollections of Nicholas's time at uh, at Fulham? Yeah, funnily enough, um, I remember when Nicholas signed for Fulham, um, I was about, I think it was about maybe 14, and I was convinced at the very beginning that Nicholas and Klaus were brothers, um, and then I seen them on the pitch and I realised that they weren't brothers at all, so, um, but yeah, it's um, it was just, it was kind of funny appearing at Fulham at that stage. Um, Nicholas, I know when you signed for Fulham, um, I think up until about maybe the November time, you had uh, a run of games in the team, but the, uh, going back to your to your point about the team the back four changing quite a lot, do you yeah. think that if Fulham had a settled back four and you're obviously going to be part of it in that November period, that things could have turned out a bit differently and maybe they didn't sign Wayne Bridge? Because I looked at the stats, um, Fulham only had one defender who played over 30 games that season. The rest yeah. were like mid to low 20s. Yeah. So do you think that the lack, the lack of a settled back four really kind of hindered your chance at Fulham or yeah I do I, I generally do and and uh, and and that's not that's not like an excuse but but an, an explanation and and like we we talked about it before as well in the beginning of the podcast around about uh, Dortmund um, if, if you want to have like long-term success you, you just have to build up a, a good a solid uh, back three, back four, whatever. And, and of course, sometimes it's not possible because of injuries or transfers or whatever. But, um, but I think you just, have to, you just have to start there. That is like building a house a little bit and, and you, you start with, with the, the fundamental things and that, that's, uh, that's the back four. And it's not the same as, as saying that you, you have to play, play boring or, or playing defensively because, uh, because my, my best performances has always been when we were very solid as a as a back four because then you also the whole team just gets so much more confidence going forward because yeah you rely on your on your defensive qualities so um so i i I definitely agree and i also think that if you if you talk with with uh, chris coleman of course it was uh, early in his uh, uh, managing career days as well so so I think a lot of things that he he did back then, uh, he of course today he's a, a much more uh, clever manager, and and he would he would agree as well and say yeah of course I I, I wasn't really maybe I, I think he 
he got the job after his uh, his uh, was it a car accident and he uh, he became assistant manager of uh, of uh, the French uh, manager who was there can't remember his uh, name Jean Tegenau um, yeah, was yeah, yeah, sacked yeah, and then yeah. Pullman got yeah. the job yeah yeah and then then Chris took over and and, and had like eight games to to save Fulham from relegation, and uh, and he did a miracle, miraculously job, and 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 all of a sudden he he was a Premier League manager, and and I know I know he told me we talked about this because because he was a, a very very nice guy, but it came quite a bit unexpected for him as well. So um, so maybe he was also uh, just uh, you know. Um, I don't know the exact word in English as well, but he was like uh, just, uh, you know, so looking learning, on, learning on the job, really. Yeah, learning, learning on the learning job. And kind of, uh, I, I remember him not not being as confident in taking like the uh, the conversations with the players and and in, and just be be honest and and tell a player if he was he was on the bench or if he was not uh, in the squad or whatever. Then he would rather, uh, you know, sit and wait a few days and see if if something happened that could kind of take that uh, task away from him. And, and uh, if if an injury came up or whatever, then the problem would have been solved. And then all of a sudden, he he would have talked to two three players, and he would he would told uh, all three of them that they were going to play in the weekend, and uh, and everybody knew only one of them was going to play. So uh, so two of them he he had to give. Uh, a bad message, uh, even though he kind of promised that they were gonna play, and and uh, stuff like that is uh, is just very, very tough to uh, to manage as as a manager because then all of a sudden you have maybe some players that uh, that lose the the confidence in you uh, a little bit. So um, so that that was also I think part of the yeah the the explanation of uh, of why we we maybe had the, not the best season. Yeah, it was just, even though it wasn't a great season, kind of all in all, Fulham did take some big scalps that year and some, yeah. beat some big sides. Yeah. Um, what what made Craven Cottage such a fortress in them times? Like, was it the actual, the pitch itself with the stadium being so tight? Was it the changing rooms inside the cottage? So what <laughs> what was it? Because the home, the home form was, the home form was incredible. But on the yeah. other hand, the away form wasn't great. I think uh, I think there might be a, a small thing about when when the other teams came there they underestimated uh, Fulham a little bit because like you say uh, very um, humid um, uh, dressing rooms uh, you you came in you 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 only had like uh, very very small dressing rooms you you came onto the pitch that might might have been a little bit uh smaller than than uh, what they came from so uh so then then just automatically you underestimate the the opponent a little bit and uh, and as a team back then we were maybe able to uh yeah to to exploit that and and uh, like you say take some some big scopes uh, so uh so that uh, i i know as a player as well of course uh, i was we were talking about it with with harland earlier if you if you go to a place and you you're used to playing in front of uh, fifty thousand, and then all of a sudden there's only twelve, thirteen, or, or or less, and and not even four stands, or somewhere in Denmark they don't, we don't even even have four stands, you know. 
So for a player playing for Bronby or Copenhagen, sometimes it's just very tough to to motivate yourself. So um, so that that could be one of the explanations. Yeah, balance. Um, there's the fan ownership, the 50 plus one rule. The teams are, you know, historical teams. There's a great level of performance discipline in the way they play, very strategic. Uh, and also the fact that there's a very good balance between what you pay to get into the games. Um, as they say in Germany, Preis-Leistungsverhältnis, so the relationship between what you pay and what you get. I mean, if you go to Borussia Dortmund and you pay 20 euros to get in, you're watching Champions League football. Um, for me, that's a huge level of satisfaction, even when I calculate in the flight flying out to Dortmund, the train, uh, the air airport coach and the one night's accommodation. Um, and nowadays you can even fly in with Ryanair early morning, which is very cheap, and fly back from Cologne back to London Stansted uh, on the same day because there's a late evening flight. So flying, watching games in Dortmund uh, is not only good value, um, but it's also, uh, for me, every time, you know, we meet at Stammtisch in London, we watch the games together and so on, which is a, a bar. And uh, I just love the way that they play football in Germany. It has something re very reminiscent of the 1980s football in England uh, and also the level of enthusiasm of the fans, the singing and the flags and so on, the fact you can have a beer. Um, I say this on every show. For me, it's, it's just about everything that I could ask for in a football experience. But, but anyway, what, what is it for you as a player, Niklas? What makes, the, what makes it so special? <clears throat> I, I can only I can really only repeat what what you what you've been saying, Ben, because it's exactly what my feeling as well. And and I still, of course, the the Premier League is also amazing. Uh, the the teams there, but but of course, as a fan, you 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 look at it a little bit differently. And and for sure, the, you say like that the enthusiasm in every stadium in Germany it is kind of they. I think they kind of uh, turned things around a little bit uh, in in like uh, early 2000s, uh, going towards the, the the world championships in 2006 there, and uh, and at that that it was just a turning point for the whole country uh, as a football country. Uh, they they got uh, a lot of uh, better youth players, uh, and and even though it's you 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 need to have those foreign players uh, you know in your team as well who, who bring something different but but still you you would prefer to see your your team uh, if it's a german team then you you would like to see some some good german young talents uh, and vice uh, in 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 england you want to see some some english talents and whatever so uh, so for sure Germany for me is is also uh, amazing place. I love to go there. I go there a lot to to, to Dortmund. I go to Wolfsburg. I go to uh, to München Gladbach a lot. Uh, I've had a I've had a player there. I've been representing as an agent for eight eight years now in Gladbach. So I I try and go as often as I can because uh, yeah, German football is is just uh, unbelievable. And I think you have. You have so many well-run clubs that have, have high-end, uh, like the the average uh, 
performance level. Uh, so um, so it's uh, you you every single game is just uh, a, a good nice a nice experience for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mark, you had a great time at your recent, uh, well, your last match over in Dortmund, didn't you? You're quite a big fan of of, uh, of Borussia and also of the Bundesliga in general. Um, I'd I would like to uh, I would like to just uh, hand over to you really for the closing part of the show. Um, I, I really can't uh, I can't thank everybody enough, um, Colm, for your insights about Fulham FC, um, Nicholas, amazing hearing about your career. Um, uh, Mark, do you want to do the social media bit and and maybe uh, if you have anything to add about the about the Bundesliga and and uh, one thing we did touch on, uh, Mark, you might want to ask Nicholas about his current work as an agent, but um, sure. maybe we've run out of time for that. Anyway, over to you, Mark. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I guess. Just to be really quick, one thing that we we normally touch on each week now that the Bundesliga has restarted. Um, obviously, uh, we have a match against Paderborn at, uh, at the weekend. Um, I'm presuming that we all think that uh, a BVB victory will be in order at the weekend. Yeah, I yeah. I, I have to say that that's uh, that's for me uh, quite uh, quite sure, quite sure that that's uh, three points uh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, I. I... Sorry, I agree too. I think it's going to be three, four at least, because I think Dortmund will be out for a bit of revenge after Tuesday night's Tuesday night's result. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, let's let's hope for a good uh, bounce back victory. But um, yeah, just to echo Ben's thoughts, really, Nicholas, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honour to have you on this evening. It's been brilliant, and I think we've all thoroughly enjoyed hearing about you know what a wonderful career you've had really. And, um, and obviously particularly the, the time that you spent with, uh, with BVB, it's, just, it's magnificent for us uh, to have you on the show. Um, anybody who wants to catch up with the podcast, um, can do so. Um, it'll be found on Facebook. Um, and, uh, Nicholas, if, if anybody, um, wants to get hold of you, I mean, are you on sort of Twitter or on other social media aspects that uh, they might be able to drop you a message at all? Yeah, for for sure. I mean, I'm I I I have Twitter, I have Facebook, but uh, it's not like I'm <laughs> I'm not spending too much time on it. But I I do have it, so uh, so feel free to uh, to reach out if you if you have a question or whatever, and uh, and just don't hold it against me if I don't answer within <laughs> uh, the first hour. But um, but for sure, it's it's been a, a privilege also to to speak with you guys, and uh, and it's. I mean, it's guys like you, like like I said, who uh, who, who makes uh, football running, you know, and and uh, and the uh, the support you you show, not even your your local team in in uh, in in uh, England, but but also uh, teams abroad. Um, yeah, players uh, really uh, love that, uh, and and of course, not all players get the the opportunity like I do now to to say thanks to guys like you and and to. Uh, to spend an hour uh, in a in a podcast, so so this has uh, also been a, a big pleasure for me. Thank you. Well, those are, those are really really kind words. Thank you. Thank you very much. And and Colm, how can anybody um, reach yourself? Uh, I am on Twitter and I am on Instagram. Um, it will probably be easier for people to take my name down off the podcast details because okay. it's a bit complicated to spell. But <laughs> it is there for if you want to send me any messages. Um, or any tweets or anything. So yeah, excellent. I, I'm uh, I'm a little bit old fashioned. You can email me at mark at sportslineuk.com. And um, <laughs> and obviously Ben. Most importantly, um, 
the BVB London fan club, if anybody wants to to join as a, as a new member or wants to, let's hope in the in the not too distant future, come along to um, to the Stamtish. Where where would they uh, where would they go? Absolutely. So anybody who wants to get involved with the Borussia Dortmund community in London, come to the uh, Naughty Bar in Cleveland Street in off uh, Oxford Street. Uh, come and check out our massive mural, 50 years of Borussia Dortmund history across the walls painted there and uh, drink some Dortmunder Union beer with us, have some food and watch Bundesliga live with the original German uh, uh, broadcasts. And uh, yeah, just come and, and, and join us. Usually we get between about 20 and 40 people coming down there, BVB fans all watching the games together. And um, yeah, in the meantime, catch us on Facebook, on the Facebook community, Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London. And um, yeah, that's 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 about all we've got time for. So uh, you can email the Facebook page uh, if you want to get in touch, if you want to join and become a, a fan club member. And uh, all I can say, guys, is thank you so much for all your time. And uh, it's been a really fascinating and interesting show. So uh, good night. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Fantastic. Here we go. Here we go.